Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Welcome to um, the second part of our series called Authentic Joy. Authentic Joy. And today, as we begin in the first chapter of our new book, today's message is called Powerful Partnership. Can I invite you to join me in saying powerful partnership? Thank you. Amen. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, looking at verse 1 to 11. Um, so can I encourage you, especially if you're, if you're not that way inclined, to turn to the text with me. Um, can't say you forgot your Bible, right? Because I know you never forgot your phone. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so you can turn to that. Phones and iPads, they count. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 11, we're going to be looking at. And as you're turning, let me try to um, introduce today's message, Powerful Partnership. So, <clears throat> how many of you know, often we can swing between two kind of extremes. Um, one extreme can be fear, and the other extreme can be confidence. Fear and confidence and swinging between the two. Um, if, if, if I asked you how you felt about the stock market, would you say you feel fearful or you feel quite confident about the stock market? I suppose you'd be like, I don't know nothing about the stock market, Pastor Rob. Okay, how about the housing market? Hey, you feel fearful or confident? Okay, how about Brexit? <laughs> Boy, if there ever was a confusing question... You know, it's funny, before Brexit, I never really thought about politics to my shame, hardly ever voted. When this whole Brexit thing come about in 2016, since then, I, I mean, who hasn't been interested in politics since then? You know what I mean? And to be honest with you, we've got one hand that went up. Um, to, and to be honest with you, I couldn't understand British politics until I got my head around American politics. And if you know anything about politics, then you don't, you don't need me to tell you. But if you don't understand British politics and it's all very confusing to you, don't be surprised because it's very confusing. But if you understand American politics, their politics is much more clear in terms of the polarization between the left and the right. You know what I'm saying? And um, you've got a left and a right in the UK, but the left is partially left and partially right. And then the right is partially left and partially is so confusing. But, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Fear or confidence. Now, if you know anything about football, right? It's particularly if you're a Liverpool fan, fear or confidence. <laughs> Boy, as the Premier League title race hots up, it's probably going to go right to the last game of the season, I suspect. Um, now, imagine if you could travel into the future, right? If you could travel into the future, and especially if you're a betting person, right, you wouldn't necessarily be concerned about the present if you know the future, right? Because if you can travel to the future, you know what's going to happen. So then you go back to the present, you're, you're like, I know what's going to happen. Now, it might be good or it might be bad, but at least you're confident in terms of the outcome, true? And like I said, if you're a betting person, hey, you can do quite well. 
Anybody remember a film called Back to the Future? In Back to the Future, um, like the, the main character, Marty McFly, he, um, the, 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 it's, it's an interesting story, got multiple layers. One of the layers of the story is, is he comes across this almanac, and the almanac tells you all the sports results, like for the next, I don't know, like 1950 to the year 2000, right? And he, he picks up this book, and imagine having a book that perfectly predicted the future. What an incredible thing that would be. Imagine to have a book that predicted the future. Good afternoon, church. Imagine. Imagine what that would be. Wow. And think about this now. In terms of my question about fear and confidence. How about the church? When you think about the church, do you, do you think about the church with fear or do you think about the church with regards to confidence? Now, given the state of society, given the state of politics, given the state of religion currently, you know what I'm saying? If religion were politics, like we, if you like, the church could seem like the conservative party right about now. Unprecedented decline. 1,300 seats they lost in this local election. I mean, What? And I'm saying if, if, if the church were politics, people could look at the church and say the same thing. If religion were, were a sport, like boxing, how many of you know, it could seem like Christianity is on the ropes. If religion were a sport like the football premiership, Christian, Christianity might seem as if currently it's in the relegation zone. Should we be fearful or confident? Well... How many of you know we have a book? We have an almanac, if you like, that tells us the future. And we actually realistically can be positive and optimistic about the future. Um, really and truly, to be honest, we should have a, a faith-filled confidence and even a joy. You know what I'm saying? A joy-filled confidence at that. Often, the Apostle Paul seems to know something that we don't. Listen to what he says in our text. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for, for, for you all making my prayer, how? With joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this. Sound confident? He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible book that faithfully outlines the future. Lord, would you inspire us with confidence? Help us to be like Paul in the sense that he says, I'm sure of this. Help us to be sure. Help us to have confidence and as a result, joy as we contemplate the powerful and productive potential of partnership. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we started this series last week. In a place that this letter was written to, that is to people in a place called Philippi, in Acts chapter 16. Philippi was an ancient Roman colony um, in northern Greece. We were introduced to Paul and his traveling team who were on mission, traveling through Europe, stopping in specific places, educating their listeners. They had a very unique and specific message, and it always provoked a response, either negatively or positively. I remember we met Lydia. Right? Lydia's kind of well-to-do. You know what I'm saying? Got a nice big house. She got a fashion business um, selling designer garments. And she's, she's nice, like financially, very independent. And, um, and then we met the opposite, the antithesis, a slave girl who didn't own anything. If anything, she was owned, remember? And, um, and she was possessed by an evil spirit. And Paul by the power of God, cast out this evil spirit and she was, she, was, she was set free, yet we don't know if she was forgiven because the text doesn't give us that information. But we know that she was set free. What she went on to then do, we don't know. And then we met the Philippian jailer. The jailer who lived in Philippi, worked in Philippi. He was probably an Italian, probably an ex-Roman soldier. And we met him. And him and Lydia shared a similar story in that both of them heard this message that Paul and Timothy were preaching. Paul and Silas, excuse me, were preaching. And they were converted. And we see them get saved. And we see them get baptized. You know what I'm saying? And we see them become not only them as individuals. We look at the Philippian jailer and his whole household got saved. How many of you know, when Paul walked into town, there wasn't even a synagogue. You know what I'm saying? It, there weren't even no men, no godly men. It was only godly women. Thank God for godly women. Praise the Lord for your life. Godly women who were meeting. And he speaks to them. And then you get to the end of chapter 16. There's a whole heap of people saved now. Men and women, it seems. In this place called Philippi. And <clears throat> fast forward 10 years later. Paul decides to write a letter to this particular group, this same group of people in this same place. And they've now become, as I mentioned, this bigger, this larger group of people, collectively now known as a church in Philippi. And it's to this group, this church, that Paul now, 10 years later, writes this letter. And from the letter, he has, is, is, incidentally, Paul is in prison, and he's not still in the prison that he, we, he was in back last week in Acts 16, no. Um, 
at this particular, like I said, it's 10 years later, and we saw him come out of prison anyway last week. Um, he's currently in prison, but it's probably like house arrest in Rome. And, and from the letter, uh, you, we could probably argue this, um, because he's got access to other believers. Timothy, as um, we will see in verse 1, he, he's evidently got some kind of ongoing relationship with. And I'm, I suppose he's not speaking to him through prison bars, you know what I'm saying? Like, Timothy's got drones coming into the prison. I don't think it's that. I think he's it's, 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 it's under house arrest and he's got access. And um, you see that in verse 1. And then Epaphroditus, who, who took the letter that he's written in chapter 2, verse 25, and went back and forth to the church at Philippi, to, to Rome, um, sharing gifts back and forth. We'll come, we'll come to that. Um, and, 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 and then you see reference to what is known as the imperial guard. Paul makes reference to the imperial guard and how the gospel is affecting them. And I'm saying that the imperial guard are also known as the praetorian guard. These are the individual, these are the specific crack troop, like SAS type soldiers who protect the emperor who lived in Rome. So again, from... From different elements of the book, we can deduce that, that Paul was in Rome under house arrest. As other believers, um, he makes reference to preaching in, in verse 13. You'll hear Bertram talk about it next week. These individuals who are, who are preaching the gospel, how, how does he know? He's, he's aware of what's going on, you know what I'm saying, around him in his surroundings. Again, because this is an open prison. Timothy, he makes reference to again in chapter 2, verse 19 through 20, 20 who, through whom Paul will send news back and forth to this church in Philippi. This all sounds like house arrest, as opposed to kind of like a Rikers Island type arrest like last week. So verse one, verse one, Paul and Timothy, can you see, are a little team. Like Paul consistently is a team player. If you read through the New Testament, it seems like Paul has at least 75 different people that he shouts out that he rolls with, that he has relationship, that he works with. Paul is a team player, and I'm saying, and I would argue that Christianity is not a solo sport. And I mean, don't try and do this thing on your own. No lone rangers. Jesus sent the disciples out how? Two by two. Amen. And we see that reflected in Paul. And remember in Acts 15 and 16, we saw Barnabas rolling with Paul, and then uh, Jean-Marc, and then the separation, right? And then Paul takes on Silas. And then, and then eventually, here we see Paul is with Timothy, who he picked up in a place called Lystra. And Lystra is in Asia Minor, old biblical language for where? Turkey, modern-day Turkey. So Paul's rolling with Timothy. And, 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 and notice, servants of Christ, servant. This is an interesting word because it's actually bond servant. Servants typically speaking, are individuals who are forced into servitude. A bond servant is someone who is forced into servitude and then after a period of time, then decide, you know what, my master's kind of all right. I, I, I'm, I'm quite happy to stay and continue to serve you, but willingly now, not because I have to. You know what I mean? You can see that in Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 15. After six years of service, a slave is to be released. And if they come back, they come back as a bond servant. And this is how Paul refers to himself and Timothy. And I'm saying we're willing servants. And there are a few things about that. One is voluntary, as I mentioned. Two, it's normally forever. Um, number three, till death, forever. 
that's maybe the same point. Um, and also it, it highlights this element of humility. You know what I'm saying? It's an individual who chooses to live a life to the detriment of their own interests. In one sense, there is self-interest because, hey, I'm doing all right in this. This is a nice house. You know what I mean? I'm getting good pay. Like, we eat good food. You know what I mean? Um, so in one sense, it is selfish. And even as believers, we think about heaven. We think about life beyond this life. You know what I mean? And in one sense, um, there's a bit of selfishness in it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's delayed gratification in one sense, isn't it? For us as believers. But at the same time, it's also a life of sacrifice, isn't it? It's a life of picking up your cross, following Jesus and having to deny ourselves, isn't it? And Paul is writing to believers of this sort, and he refers to them, notice, as saints. In Christ Jesus, saints. Now notice, saints, they're not, they're not venerated dead Catholic popes or priests. That's not what a saint is, not from a biblical point of view anyway. I'm saying, I mean, these people are living. You can't write a letter to dead people, right? So he's right, must be alive. Dead people can't read letters. Dr. Alvin, Dr. Alva McLean, um, he's got a, a quote here about saints, the word saint, and it's really helpful. Sainthood, he says, is not a goal or destination of the future. You know what I'm saying? Because, again, in the Catholic Church, you only become a saint after you die. But it's not something with regards to the future. It is a present possession. Notice, if Catholics believed this, their doctrine of saints would be swept away forever. If Protestants, who we are, believed this, there would be more holy living. It's not just about the next life. I mean, the Christian life is about this life, isn't it? Saint is a, is a synonym for Christians. And, and the temptation is, okay, well, you know what? You've got Christians, yeah, but you know, everybody knows that Christians fall into two categories. You've got, you got, you got Christians who kind of go to church now and again, kind of read the Bible now and again. You know what I'm saying? And say grace when they eat their food. And, you know what I'm saying? And then you've got serious Christians. I mean, if you know, that's not true. That's not true. All Christians are saints. To say you're a Christian saint is like saying you're a square box. It's the same thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like I'm a born-again Christian. <laughs> I'm, I'm a round circle. You know what I'm saying? It's like if you're born again, you're a Christian. If you're, Christ, if you're a Christian, you're born again. If you're a Christian, you're a saint, you know what I'm saying? And I suppose just knowing that, you're like, really? You see how that begins to affect you right now, currently in the present? It's not something to wait for. <clears throat> saints, are, saints are Christians, not part-time, the opposite to part-time part -time Christians. Saints are saved sinners. Saints are rescued sinners. In the world, there's only one type of human. It's not black and white people or, you know what I'm saying, or, or rich and poor people or, 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 or male and female people. No, there's only one type of people, sinners. And everybody falls under that category. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, sinners. But sinners are split into two categories. You've got rescued sinners and then you've got unrescued sinners. Saints are sinners who are rescued, who, are, who have been set apart, who are categorized and distinct, if you like. What's the, what's the New Testament word for an individual that's set apart, a sinner that's set apart? 
Sanctified, right? Sanctified. Sanctified. Notice, <clears throat> those who are saints or rescued sinners who are set apart in Christ Jesus, right, who are at Philippi. These rescued sinners, they're outside but inside. What do I mean by that? Well, they're, they're in Christ, so that means they're separate, right? They're outside or set apart from the world, but they're, notice they're in Philippi. They're, if you like, in Christ, they're outside, set apart, but in Philippi, they're in the world. So they're outside, but inside, at least in, inside a, a particular geographical location. Set apart, but, but it's funny, set apart, but not isolated, inside, outside. This is a bit like, you know, the Bible says in John 17, we're in the world, but what? Inside outsiders, not of it. And he says, this is to those who are at Philippi, the saints are set apart, inside outsiders, with the overseers and deacons. With the overseers and deacons. The church has grown a lot since last week, <laughs> since Acts 16, right? Now, it's not just Lydia and just the Philippian jailer and his little family meeting in Lydia's house, which is probably where the church first met. And I'm saying, now they got elders and they got deacons i mean it only took us 15 years to get to the point where we have a clear group of elders and we're in the process of clarifying a group of deacons how many of you enjoying the process some are maybe some ain't we'll talk a little bit more about that in our members meeting today but and over the course of the next few weeks and months um elders and deacons the church has grown Last week, I, I, walked I walked us through like a little snapshot, didn't I, of, 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 of our history. We're not the Philippian church. We're the, we're the Lewisham church, you know what I'm saying? At least now we are. We're, we're the South London church. We used to be called Calvary Chapel South London and changed our name to Ecclesia. You know I'm saying now we're in Lewisham. We started in Dulwich, but then we moved to New Cross, and then we moved to Broccoli. And we've always been in South London, but here we find ourselves now in Lewisham. And, you know, I went through that list of different people. Even as I look out, I'm seeing different people that I never met. I, I mentioned over 100 people last week. And we never even began to scratch the surface. I was like, wow, Lord, you've really touched a, a, a lot of people's lives through the small ministry, you know what I'm saying, of Calvary Chapel, South London, slash Ecclesia. Um, even to the point where we've moved, we've doubled now in one sense. We've got another branch in Dulwich. And... Um, the church in Philippi grew. Thank the Lord that we are growing. You know what I'm saying? And maybe not at the rate that some would like to see. I would probably like to see, but I don't think that we were able to manage really the growth. Hopefully, as we organize ourselves a bit more structurally, the Lord will help us to grow. And even saying that, it's not even completely true because um, there are a number of people in our little church who have grown in ministry, have grown in um, have grown in maturity and have gone on to work and serve in other churches. I mean, there are some of you guys who did that and have actually come back to our church, back to Ecclesia. And so I think, you know, we've, 
as insubstantial, quote-unquote, as we may seem, you know what I'm saying, um, the Lord has done a, a, a substantial work in and through, you know what I'm saying, many of us, many of you, you know what I'm saying? So we've got a lot to be encouraged by, even like this church in Philippi. Verse 2, grace to you. He continues the greeting. Grace to you, this church, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. This is a combination of a Greek and Hebrew greeting. Grace and peace. And, and notice it's not from Paul. He says it's from God. Now, if he's writing a letter, you'd expect him to say it's from him. Um, but he doesn't. He says, from God. And it's in that order. Someone said that grace and peace are Siamese twins in the New Testament. Again, another quote from the brother that I mentioned earlier, um, Alva McLean. He says, he says, grace and peace are the Siamese twins of the Bible. Notice, they have an order. You cannot have peace without first receiving grace. They flow from two persons, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace always precedes peace. You can't have one before the other. And you never find grace and peace apart from the Lord Jesus. Grace and peace. The Bible says that the law came through Moses, but grace and peace. No, you don't say that. Somebody help me. What does it say? Grace and truth. Thank you, brother. Ah, see? Paul was listening. <laughs> Grace and truth comes through the Lord Jesus. Verse, it says, it's funny because sometimes you might see us, we might sign an email, been doing it for years, or send a text and at the bottom, Grace and peace. In America, historically, they would like to say, yeah, peace. You know, you hear that term, especially kind of in urban settings. Grace and peace. It's God's unmerited favor and even his divine enablement and, and peace, shalom, that Hebrew word. Verse 3, it says, it says, I thank my God. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Be begin to hear Paul's heart for this church, for this group of individuals. He says, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all make, for you all, making my prayer, how? With joy. But why, why? Because, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day. Paul remembers the first day when he was on the, on the beach with those ladies. From the first day, he said, it's like there's something special about this church that warms the heart of the apostle. From the first day, and, and right up till now, and that whole time between. You missed the Liverpool thing at the beginning, brother. Sorry, we'll catch up afterwards. <laughs> he's, he's smiling, though. He's smiling, though. From right from that first day until now, Paul's heart is filled, you know what I'm saying, with, 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 with wonderful memories, filled um, with, 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 with joy for their partnership. These saints, these followers of Christ in Philippi, they're evidently dear to Paul's heart. He says, every time they come to mind, every, imagine that, every time. He's not using that word loosely. Every time I think about them, it leads to me thanking God for them. Are there any brothers and sisters that you think of that come to mind? And you, they, as soon as they come to mind, you're like, boy, Lord, thank you. Thank you for that sister. Boy, Lord, thank you for that brother. 
on the flip side, is there anyone that comes to mind? <laughs> Swiftly moving on. Like this church, it's like, wow. Man said, just pray, you know. <laughs> Prayer is always the answer. <laughs> like Jesus. <laughs> All right. But this church, wow. They part, Paul says they partnered with him. You know what I'm saying? We saw that last week. Lydia, immediately, as she gets saved, the Lord opens her heart, her heart and nearly gave it away. And what did she do? She opened, she opened her house. She says, if you really feel like the Lord has done a work, here's my house. Come. Whatever it is, it's, it, the impression you get is that what she got, she wanted to share it with others. And you know what? She could have just kind of patted them on the back or shook their hand and said, thank you, this is such a blessing, really, really appreciate you. See you later. You know what I mean? No. She partnered, immediately partnered with those who were on mission because she, she understood the ramifications of this message to the point where she... And, 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 and always, when that genuinely happens, the only response from an individual is, how can I share this? Who can I tell this to? This is good. This, have, you, have you heard the good news? Lydia opened her house facilitating the gospel. Scholars suggest that it was in Lydia's house that the very first church service took place here in Philippi. And again, I reflected last week about those first days of when we started fellowshipping before there was even a Calvary Chapel, South London, slash Ecclesia. Some things don't change. Now, part of the reason Paul really loved this church is also because they supported him in many ways, many ways, not least of all, how? Financially. Huh? Financially. Philippians 4. This is a little bit later in the book, and um, we'll get there. But just as a, a quick reference, verse 15, Philippians 4. And you Philippians yourselves know that <laughs> in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Now it's crazy because if Paul never mentioned to this church his gratitude for their commitment and partnership with him, we probably wouldn't even have known it. Because you don't see Paul in Corinthians say, boy, you see you Corinthians? You see how, look, not only did I write you one, I wrote you two letters and not even a dime, nothing. You know what I mean? Not even a B, you know what I'm saying? No support. You, you don't hear Paul say that. You know what I'm saying? But it's evidently, it's evidently true. This is the only church. You know what I'm saying? None other except you only, the man said. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So multiple times the church has supported Paul in his ministry. And, you know, like we, as you know, wrongfully hate talking about money. You know what I'm saying? Now, you see how I just, that statement probably wasn't good, it wasn't very good grammatically speaking, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, when we, you know, you wouldn't know if you've just been around for a little while. You see, when we first planted a church, we, for about a year, we never even took up an offering. I remember when we first went to Calvary Chapel in Westminster, 
before there was ever a, this church. And I'm going back to the 90s. And, and at that time, we were, in a, we were in a church where you want to talk about money? Often, our church would take up three offerings in one service. We got so sick and tired and fed up with all this money, 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 money talk. Oh, from every time from the pulpit. Don't go to Pizza Hut this week. Take that money that you got and give it to the church. You know what I mean? God will bless you. You know what I'm saying? He'll give you back a hundredfold increase. You know what I'm saying? All of this manipulation. And I remember going to, I won't, I won't name the name of the minister, but I remember we went to, it was me, Helen, Pierre, Peter Henry, a batch of us. I'm going back to the 90, I'm going back to 1991, 92. A batch of us went to this conference in Brighton. Like there must have been five to ten thousand people at this conference. Guy down the front talking about money. And when the collection came, we ran down because it because those type of environments you're encouraged to give publicly when the bible tells you like your left hand ain't supposed to know what you're right and is publicly you're encouraged and invited sometimes they have categories like okay the 50 pound givers come down and then the 100 pound you take your seat 100 pound givers and then they, then and they, they leave the best to last the thousand pound pledges come and you're invited to come and publicly give your offering right and honest i'm not even lying you know how they were collecting the money? You know how they were collecting the dough? In wheelie bins. You know them bins that, like, 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 this is, this is, this is Lewisham Borough, right? Blue Borough. No, is it blue? Yeah. You see them big rubbish bins that you put your rubbish in out? That's what they, they had, like, a series of them at the front. And we ran down. I don't know if you remember them days, Marky. Run, run, hallelujah, run down. Because, 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 and, and that's what we used to do. We used to run around and mash up the place all the time, but run down and honest. Because I, I, I believe I'm going to get a hundred times what I'm giving. Who wouldn't be joyful? Run and rabbit ears, not even lying, come down with my pockets empty. Because we gave everything now, sidebar, right? So, because that was. A Myself, Pastor E, and Pastor P. That was our experience for a number of years. Now, we did that for a while because we didn't know no better. But then we begin to read the Bible. <laughs> hey. And, um, and, and so we kind of... And, and so when we started any type of gathering, we thought, you know what? We're not, not only are we not going to talk about money, <laughs> we're going to neglect money. And we did that to our detriment. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not sure if you're aware or not, um, but none of us as pastors have been on salary since we planted a church in 2003. And um, until September last year, which is when Pastor E came on staff, quote unquote, with a salary. Um, but it's been difficult because the church still can't fully pay his salary. And I, and I say that to our shame in a sense that money is something that we've neglected to talk about. 
You know what I'm saying? But it came out of our experience. And all we can say is that we're sorry. I say sorry. You're probably not sorry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but we're sorry because we've been feeling it. You know what I mean? But in one sense, and Paul says this in this letter, you know what I'm saying? We've deprived you of a blessing. <clears throat> we've deprived ourselves. You know what I'm saying? But we've deprived you. All, all that said and done, um, we want to be a healthy church, and it? One of, one of the things about being healthy, and it's crazy. I suppose the impetus in churches that are telling people you're going to get blessed if you give, well, people are obviously going to give. That's why them churches have millions. You know what I mean? Um, but in a church where we're not trying to rape anybody financially and use and abuse anybody in that sense, um, it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, and it's hard. Like, you're seeing the, re the repercussions of that now with Pastor E having to take time out. You can't, you just can't keep it up. Do you know what I'm saying? And for years we've, we've as, as, and it's not just me and Pastor E, you know what I mean? We've got other elders now that are, 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 are helping to lead the church, are helping to, are helping to, um, to meet the needs of the church. And um, we're just praying that the gospel is going to impact your heart to the point where you'll become like the Philippian church. And um, it's like working sometimes not one but two jobs, you know what I'm saying, in order to support our families and then try our utmost to serve you as a church in, in the ways that we, we try to. We know that we fall short. And a lot, a lot of people have complained that they're not getting what they should be. And this, you know what I'm saying? A, a, lot of, we've, a lot of people have left our church because they don't feel like we, sh we are where we should be. You know what I'm saying? They don't feel like, well, look at them other churches. You know what I'm saying? Look at what they got and look at how they function. Um... And, you know, I can't lie, like, um, we, still, we, still, we still consider you with great joy. Um, we love you, you know what I mean? Um, all of the pastors, um, I know I speak on behalf of them, but if I said that it weren't hard sometimes, I would, be, I would be lying. Like, you'd be like, sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't feel like coming to church. <laughs> Yeah, we feel like that sometimes as well. Um, especially when you look like those of you that teach and have instructed and had to preach. Like when we call on you guys to preach. <laughs> it's tough, isn't it? You only know if you've done it. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes because of your schedule, you might not get no sleep on a Saturday night because you're up all night. And, and, and I say that for every single person, at least that I know, that has graced, that, that has graced the pulpit, that has preached in our church. Because nobody comes up here, you know what I'm saying, with a baseball bat to beat the sheep with. You know what I'm saying? Nobody comes up here like with tasers, you know what I'm saying? With, no one comes up here to abuse anybody. They, every person that comes to share, at least that we invite, they come to share genuinely, lovingly, graciously. And, and, and we try to be gospel-centered. We try and say, look at the gospel. Look at what Jesus, you heard Paul share it earlier. Look at what Jesus did for us. On that basis now, you know what I'm saying, let's serve him. The Bible says, 
um, in Romans 12, that we ought to give ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is, which is, well, which is well pleasing, you know what I'm saying? Which is it's, it's just reasonable service because of what Jesus did for us. You know what I'm saying? And we give ourselves in all of these ways. We try and say, let's do that. We ain't trying to make or manipulate, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and yet, I think one of the things we're learning is we can probably be a little bit more forceful, probably a lot more forceful on some of these other issues. And, um, and God is helping us. Thankfully, we've, we've had a number of people agree to come on board in terms of deacons. And again, all volunteer roles. Um, but you know what? Let's pray that at some point, the Lord will help us to be like the Philippian church in that, you know what I'm saying? We give. We, everything we do, we do sacrificially, you know what I'm saying? And we do it in such a way that we are healthy in every way. Amen? Amen, amen. amen. Um, Paul's got fond memories of this church. Despite, no, remember, remember last week, the beating, imprisoned. Despite that, because Paul's thinking, man, it could, Timothy, Silas could have been like, Paul, man, remember when there was, in, Paul, man, if we never come to this, why did we come to this place? What, just because you see some vision, some man saying, come to Macedonia, look at what you brought us into. Silas could have said that to, to, to Paul, but Paul would have said, but come on now, we would have never met Lydia. Look how God has transformed that woman's life. I'm saying we, 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 the, 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 the slave girl, she would have continued to be used and abused. God set her free. You remember? Yeah, says Silas. And Silas would be like, yeah, and the Philippian jailer. Remember we went to his yard? Yeah, and he woke everybody up in the middle of the night. Yeah, and we ate some good food that night, innit? And can you believe it was the Philippian jailer that, that, that bathed our, he got dettled out and, and bathed our wounds, remember? And Paul and Silas and... Now, they never even had that conversation as far as we know, but they might have, you know what I'm saying? But whatever they talked about, they ended up praising God whilst they were in chains. And Paul's like, these are the things that he remembers. You know what I'm saying? These are the things that bring him joy as he thinks about them and he prays for them 10 years later. And there's probably a lot that happened over that time that we're not aware of. You know what I'm saying? That Paul gives thanks for. Can you, can you look back over your life and remember times that you can give thanks for? Earlier I said, can you remember people that you can give thanks for? Can you remember times in your life you can look back? And I'm saying, you'd be like, you know what? I remember, you know, I remember when I got married. I remember when I got married. You know, this October is, is, is 29 years. I remember when I got married. And I remember before getting married saying, boy, Lord, I know she's a good girl. She can cook. <laughs> she loves clean. Like, I was like, now I know those things are very unpolitically correct. <laughs> you know, someone will listen to this message online and think, well, that church, they're so misogynistic. I'm like, I'm just being real. I looked at the girl and I was like, and she looked good. You got the whole Indian and Spanish mix. I was like, huh? But you know what? I was shook. I was so nervous about making that commitment and getting married. You know what I mean? I was so nervous about it. But God was so gracious and he helped me. I tell you, I look back and I think, one of the, one of the best days of my life. 
one of the I went to visit someone yesterday who had like a double hernia operation, right? Went to see this brother. And he said, Robert, he goes, this thing with knife crime, what's going on in this in 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 in, in, in this in the UK with the knife crime thing? And so we chatting about this and went for a whole list of stuff. When I helped him to see that I felt one of the fundamental problems, and I'm saying that leads to, and it's like, I told him it's multi-layered, but one of the big issues is the breakdown of the family. I look back and I remember the day I got married and I think, Lord, what a blessing that both of my kids, they don't know what it's like to grow up without having a mom and a dad. We're far from perfect. You know what I'm saying? We still got issues we're trying to work out now. But one of the blessings is both of my kids, they will hear people talk about, you know, oh, uh, my mum brought me up or my dad brought me up or I'm coming from a broken home and I've got brothers and sisters that I never met. That's my life. That's my testimony. And probably most of our testimonies. But what a, what a blessing it is that both of my kids can say, boy, you know what? That's not my life. What a blessing. I look back and you know what? I'm just trying to encourage you to think back uh, what the Lord has done in your life and how good he's been to you. You know what I mean? I know there's lots of things to moan and complain about, but that's what the world are really good at doing. We're supposed to be different. Remember, we're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be distinct. You know what I'm saying? Now, I don't mean that we don't go through the same things we do, but we look at them differently. You know what I mean? And remember. And, and notice, it's one, it's one thing just remembering and reflecting on fond memories, but, but what does that lead to for Paul? Someone said it earlier. What does it lead to for Paul? Verse, verse 3 says, I thank my God. What's he doing? Man's praying. Always in prayer. In every prayer of mine for you all. Making my prayer, he says again, with joy. Reminiscing is nice. <laughs> It's another thing to pray. Because if I look back on all that I just said about what the Lord has potentially done in my life, if all I do is say, wow, wasn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> and then I just keep it moving. That, now that's all right. But how many of you know it's better that I say, ain't that wonderful? And I say, Lord, Lord, if it were not, Lord, if it were not for you, I wouldn't have no testimony. Tim and Ella, look at a wonderful, wonderful family. You know what I mean? The, the, <laughs> he said, I know that he won't be embarrassed. Man's up on YouTube with his family. He ain't going to be embarrassed by me shouting him out. Yeah, you lot are smashing it, by the way. I'm trying. You know what I'm saying? That's due to the grace, nothing but the grace of God. And we can say, Lord, I think about Tim and Ella. Look at their family. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In the midst of what is the complete opposite. I said the same, same guy that I went to visit yesterday. He's married. His wife died of a terrible disease. And so he's single and he's got four kids. Um, and we both looked and we said, you know what? Isn't it amazing? The only thing I didn't do with him is pray. As I reflect now, I thought, Lord, to my shame. We both celebrated the fact that he was married and raised these four kids. They're all adults now, thank the Lord. 
Um, and my two, my, my, my two biological kids are adults now. I stand there and I thought, Lord, forgive me. I never even prayed with a brother. I'm studying this. You'd have thought, come to mind. I, you know, let's take a minute and give God thanks. Paul's not like me. So what do you say, bro? Still can. We can. Amen. We're doing it now in a sense. We're doing it now. Reminiscing is nice, but it's another thing to pray. And often, you know, you feel like you ain't got nothing to pray about. There's lots we got to pray about. Because just giving thanks is prayer. If that's all you do. <laughs> did you pray this morning? No, man. But did you give thanks? Yeah, I did, you know. Well, he was praying. Can you see how prayer is also an important element of partnership? Can you see how Paul partners wonderfully with this church? Now, he's giving thanks for the fact that the church is partnering with him. But can you see as he's praying, he's actually partnering with the church? And he can't respond to them by giving them finances but he can respond in partnership of a kind by praying for them. This message is called Powerful Partnership. It's powerful when finances come true. Like Moses, Moses, the Lord, like Moses, told the people, all your gold and your silver and your jewelry, make a contribution. Moses got to tell the people, stop, imagine, stop giving. <laughs> We got too much. You know when you got too much, you, you got so much money, you don't know how to spend it. Don't give no more. <laughs> that sounds really funny, doesn't it? Don't give no more. Well, Paul, I mean, if, when people give like that, that's powerful partnership. Especially when the mountain, when the mountain of that which has been contributed is going in the right direction for the right purpose. It's a wonderful, it's powerful partnership, isn't it? But it's also powerful to partner in other ways. And it's crazy. So Paul partners by praying. You see this partnership. Paul's not his only, he's, he's got Timothy. And Paul's a blessing to Timothy, but how many of you know Timothy is a blessing to Paul? Then you've got Paul with Timothy, and then you've got Silas, and then you've got Luke who's rolling with them. And they're a blessing to the Philippians, and also the Philippians are a, a blessing to Paul and Timothy. Again, I mentioned, especially Lydia, who probably would have continued to give throughout Paul's ministry because she had it like that. But, and I suppose this is kind of like the, the crescendo of the message. It's called powerful partnership. You need all of those elements to make partnership powerful, but guess what's missing? Guess who is the ultimate partner. It ain't Timothy. It's not even Paul. You'd be like, Paul, I'd love to have Paul as my prayer partner. And I'm saying, one of the things I bemoan, my mum is 85 years old. I dread the day my mum passes away because I'm going to lose probably the prayer support that's kept me alive. And I'm saying, it's a blessing to have prayer support. But, who's the ultimate partner? The ultimate partner is God. Who's been working alongside Everybody in every way. Prayer is necessary. The message, the gospel is vital. Preachers of that gospel are necessary. How many of you know you need people to listen? You need an audience, right? Helpful. Finances, you need money, right? 
houses to meet in, places to meet in, blessing necessary. You need elders, you need deacons. You need one church supporting another church. Pray that other churches would help to support us as a church. We might not be able to, we might be trying to ring, ring, like trying to get blood out of a stone. You might not have no more to give. You're already sacrificially given. Well, let's pray that maybe another church that's minted, you know what I'm saying, will see our plight and come along and partner with us. Because they say, you know what? You guys are doing something. That's what happened with LCM. I've got so many stories. That's why my, my, my time always run out on me. Too much stories. That's how, cut a very long story short. That's like we came into partnership with LCM because they said, you know what? I got a phone call. I was in Sainsbury's car park putting shopping in my car. And I got a phone call from Graham Miller, who's the CEO at LCM. And he said, he said is, is this Robert? I said, yeah. He said, um, I'm Graham Miller. From, I'm CEO at LCM. He said, um, we got a building, and we wonder if you'd like to use it. I said, what? I'm in, Sainsbury, I'm in Sainsbury's car park. I said, I said, huh? Little did he know. Bertram, do you remember that time when we were looking for church buildings? Desperate. And we're looking, we went just across the road on Lewisham Way to look at a building there that they, they were just selling and in the process of renovating. Went to look at this building, looking around this building. I, I don't know what we was looking for. The building cost two million pounds. <laughs> we, we, we were window shopping. That's what we were doing. You know what I'm saying? Two twos, this brother calls me and says, he says, if we've got, he says, if, if, if we've got 10 boxes, you tick 15 of them. Not me, our church. I said, really? He said, we got this building and it's in Lewisham. We wonder, can we talk? I said, <laughs> just tell me when and where. He said, let's meet in the building. I hollered at Pastor E. We were like, what? So we met him literally right over where them guys are sitting, right over by, yeah. And we stood there. And, and the crazy thing is, you hear building. Now, you know what's mad? What's mad is, London City Mission owned a building on the spot that we're sitting in, standing in, this building is, right? It was a little clubhouse. I think it had like two rooms. Little, old, tiny, little building. My kids used to go to St. Stephen's Primary School over the back, and they used to go to the London City Mission building for after-school club, breakfast club, business, that stuff, right? Barrett decided to redevelop this whole area, or this section, this part, right? And they hollered at LCM and said, oh, look, you know, we, got, we, we wanna, um, we wanna build this thing. You wanna sell your building? LCM said, sell our building. <laughs> what? You mean the little clubhouse thing that is worth millions to you? And they came up with a good deal, and they, they struck this deal with, with Barrett, so, they had to rebuild their building and give them the free apartments above. So LCM owned the free, free bedroom apartments above here. Shrewd business. And, um, and I tell that story because when, we, when me and Pastor E heard and Pastor P heard that they were going to let us use the building, we thought, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, it must be the little clubhouse. When we walked into the brand new building, like I said, I mean, I've got, I've got stories for days, and my point is, 
intimacy, the ultimate partner, the most important vital contributor when it comes to partnership is the Lord God himself. And maybe that's why Paul's so excited about prayer. I mean, I tell you, I got a real revelation on prayer. You know what I'm saying? Paul, he engages with everyone just mentioned and is encouraged by all, but knows that importantly, substantially, ultimately, his help comes from the Lord. And this makes Paul giggle. He's tickled. He has this remarkable and this, this excited, authentic joy, doesn't he, as he prays. And it grants Paul this unmistakable, overwhelming optimism. Paul's even positive about negative people. You'll hear Bertram talk about this next week. Man's positive about negative people. Hey, I've got another story to tell, but time don't permit me. <laughs> and he's really excited, ultimately, because God is powerfully partnering. You know what I'm saying? Even if people are off key, regardless, it's, 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 it's wonderful. It's fundamentally all about the work of God. And we see Paul gladly admit that point in the next verse. Now, I'm going to have to make this point and then make maybe one or two more points and then we're done, right? Watch this. Paul will gladly admit that God is the ultimate partner. Watch. You know, I never, all the years I've been reading my Bible, I never knew the context for this next verse. I've been trying to paint the context. So hopefully when I show it to you, you'll be like, you'll be like, what? Why is Paul so excited and glad and encouraged by the, by the, by the partnership with the, the, the Philippian church? But ultimately with God, watch, verse 6. Did I have verse 6 up there already? Oh, help me, Lord. No, I didn't. See, this is what I'm talking about when you're trying to burn the midnight oil and the thing does mash up. <laughs> I don't know where I am now, Lord. Let me read verse 6. You got it in front of you, right? Hopefully. Verse 6. And I am sure of this. Remember at the beginning I talked about confidence. What can you have confidence in? Hear how confident Paul is when he says, I am sure of this. What? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Can you see how Paul is saying this thing ultimately depends not on the Philippians or on even himself? Who started the church? It was Paul. But can you see that he's not even looking to himself as the one who is the ultimate partner? He says all of this depends on God. His emphasis on help, on partnership, Paul is so convinced of God's help. It's like nothing faces him. And as a result, he's filled with joy. The church powerfully partnering. Missionaries powerfully partnering. Mission agencies and churches powerfully partnering. Even, you know what I'm saying, LCM are like the, Paul and Silas are the original LCM coming alongside the church. Yet God powerfully partnering. Not only in order to see the gospel spread widely and generally, notice, but also to see the gospel spread deeply and personally. He says, I'm convinced. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, the ultimate partner, right? 
He will complete it in an ultimate way. He will bring it to completion. And I'm saying at the day of Jesus Christ, like when the Lord comes, he who began a good work in you. You know, when they arrived at Philippi, that's not when the work started. God had already been working because it says that Lydia already was a worshiper of God. God was already at work. And that should be an encouragement to us as we do gospel, gospel ministry sometimes. You know, they say ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. And it's true. And you see, the question is like, why are we here? See, why are we in the city broadly? You know what I'm saying? It's because God has come before us. Like, we're not new. Like, we didn't bring God to Lewisham. He was already here a long time. He's been working broadly. But how many of you know he's working personally? And he uses individuals like us in order to work in the lives of others personally. And I'd just like to say, you know, your job is really important. Like, your family is really important. Your wife and your kids, they're all important. But how many of you know, like I said earlier, without the gospel, you could have a really lovely family, a great marriage. Someone said, if all we're doing is creating great marriages, great homes, and again, you know I'm saying these things are wonderful, but I'm saying if that's all we're doing, I mean, I've heard Pastor E quote this. I don't know where he got it from, but it's so true. All we're doing is creating a better place to go to hell from. You know what I mean? So all of those things are wonderful, but at the same time, let's remember, none of it really matters apart from the gospel. You know what I'm saying? Apart from salvation, because beyond this life, and Paul's saying, you know what? Because of the gospel, I'm confident. I'm confident in the work in you. You know, my team is Arsenal. It's no great surprise. And, um, but I hate to watch them play because they cause me nothing but heartache. <laughs> so what I do now is when they play, I don't watch the game live. I just record it. And then when I see the score, that will determine whether I watch it or not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And... Um, and it's funny because my team played this week and I recorded it. I was in a meeting anyway. I couldn't watch it live. Recorded it. And at the end of the meeting, I looked at my phone and I looked at the score. We won. So then I went back and I watched it. Now, what's crazy about this is, I think is, I think is a good analogy, is while I was watching the game that I already knew the score of, I knew that we'd won. I'm watching the game, yeah? And the opposing team scored. And I went, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. <laughs> like, and, I, and I just thought, isn't that just the perfect analogy of our Christian lives? Because we know, we, like, we know the end of the story. But it's coming like I don't know that. It's like, really? Did I really read the book? Did I really read the end of the book? Because as soon as some drama comes in my life, I start acting like I don't know the score. Now, looking at, looking at others, sometimes, you know, we can get really discouraged because we've seen quite a number of quite prominent individuals fall or turn away from their faith. And, and that can really cause 
You know what I'm saying? Anxiety and even a lack of confidence. You know what I'm saying? Be like, Lord, what is this really all about? That person was with you, walking with you for 10 years or so. And... But you know what? We can't look at others and feel discouraged. Furthermore, you might look at your own life. Now, I don't know if I lost you, if you're tired and you zoned out. You said, Robert, you forget that it's members meeting today. <laughs> Plus, we had um, communion like Robert. We're finished, right? But I'm saying it's one thing looking at other people and saying, boy, look at that person. Look what's happened to them. But it's another thing looking at yourself and thinking, Lord, my life is a joke. It's in pieces. Well, don't feel discouraged. Can I say it's only half time? You know what I'm saying? You've still got another 45 minutes to go and plus stoppage time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't be discouraged. Because he who began a good work in the, 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 question, the real question to ask is, did God begin a work in me? That's the question. Because th there ain't no question as to whether he's going to complete it. Amen? I'm so sorry. We ain't got time to finish the rest of the message. I'm going to wrap up right here. I'm going to invite the team to come, and I'm going to pray. Powerful partnership. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your commitment to this world. I'm not even going to start with the church. Your commitment to this world, this fallen world, that deserves nothing other than for you to strike a match, douse it with petrol, and set it alight. That's, that's your commitment to this world, Lord. Paul talked about it in communion. What you did for us is mind-blowing. It's breathtaking. And Father, thank you that not only are you committed to a sinful world that despises you very often, but you made a commitment to love this world and even to save. People complain about, oh, all these people going to hell. Well, how about, that's the wrong question to ask. My question is, Lord, how on earth, why would you save anyone and take them to heaven? But you do. And Father, I thank you because the way you do it is by working through people. First Corinthians says, as believers, we're co-laborers together with you, in partnership with you. And Lord, we get to partner with one another. What a privilege. Lord, we get to <clears throat> be a blessing one to another. Sometimes a challenge. Yeah, but Lord, when we think about your commitment to us, any drama that we have with each other should fade away. Lord, any, any cause for bitterness, consternation, for jealousy, Lord, ought to melt away when we think about your commitment to us.
in the cross. And Lord, it, it challenges me because it asks me, okay, how, what's my partnership? What am I bringing to the table? What are we bringing to the table? My question today is, if God has opened your heart, have you opened your home? If God has opened your heart to, today maybe even, or five years ago, or 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, some of us 30 years ago, if God has opened your heart, have you opened your wallet? How about your diary? We can talk about treasure, but how about your time? Have you opened up, God opened up your heart, have you opened up your diary? And given God some of your time, really when he, he deserves all of it, right? How about your calendar? So that's your treasure and that's your, that's your time. How about your talents? No doubt you've got to work and you've got to raise your kids and there's loads of things you've got to do. But as God, the Bible says, what do we have that we didn't receive? Everything that we've got. Can I challenge you to consider how you can be utilizing what God has given you to his purpose? We're all so enamored with our own purposes, with our own lives, with our own desires. Can I challenge you? Your time, your talent, your treasure. See, because once you do that, once we do that, it's going to change our prayer lives. It's going to change our heart propensity from bitterness and anger and envy to one of authentic joy. Do you have a prayer life? Are, are, you, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you even a Christian? Are you, are you, are you, are you you're definitely, I know that you're a sinner, but are you, are, which category are you in? Are you in the rescued sinner category or the, the unrescued category and if you are in the rescued category my last question is are you actively taking part in Christian ministry or are you on the sidelines are you actively involved in partnership in some way shape or form Small or large. The Bible says some, some believers, they bring forth 30-fold. Some 60-fold. Some 100-fold. There's got to be something. There's got to be something. Father, would you help us as we contemplate, as we contemplate these things? Because, Lord, if we really want to tap authentic joy... We're not going to find it anywhere other than in the gospel and making our country. You made a huge contribution for us, Lord. Help us to respond to that. We're not trying to work for our salvation or get brownie points, but help us to respond, Lord. Help us to respond to the gospel and your goodness. Because the, 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 because the gospel demands that. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Because partnership is powerful. Amen.
Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.